0: Hi and welcome to episode 229 of No Crying in Baseball, the I Ain't Afraid of No Ghost wins episode. My
1: name's Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. How are you? I am hanging in there barely by a thread. I, I don't feel like like my normal self, so that's another caveat this week. But I am not. Oh. I'm not the normal the normal Potty Mouth. I'm not at my best
0: for sure. Does that mean less
1: or more swearing? Th- that's a really good question. So this I guess is like time will ex- tell. Yep. Yep. This is extension of injuries from last week. So, so go back to last episode for the synopsis, but I'm just feeling like achy and, but you know what? I I'm not even a little bit into my beer yet. So I'm thinking that that's going to help. That'll bring out the old potty mouth. And then maybe I'll have to call, call for a backup beer.
0: I think that's fair. What, what did you choose for your medicinal beer today?
1: So I am drinking a very a classic really, the the optimal, a quantum, some shift, shift. <laughs> yeah, the quantum shift from our friends at Silver Branch Brewery.
0: Very nice. I saw our friends at Silver Branch Brewery yesterday at an outdoor very event. Nice. It was lovely. But I'm drinking from Peabody Heights at the site of the old Orioles Park, the Mr. Trash Wheels Solar Powered Sour.
1: Oh, that's awesome. And
0: um, yeah, it's very delicious. And I was warned that the social event I'm going to later has strong beer. So I thought I would start with maybe beer with less of a punch so I could prolong my day. Good plan. Instead of a a, a, a painful, short, disastrous ending, (laughs) which could happen.
1: which could happen.
0: All right. Let's see. What are we doing today? On today's show, Derek Jeter takes himself out. We've got a lot to talk about with the CBA and the lockout. And I can't believe I've got to explain rule five again because it's getting even more complicated. Uh, We've got our boyfriends on the Astros and the Dodgers. And fun fact, we started our podcast during the Astros and Dodgers World Series. So this feels kind of momentous. And oh, by the way, we passed our 25,000 download this week. So we're feeling old, which is nice. Um, We've got some news about women in baseball. We've got cross-training
1: with both women's soccer and women's basketball. Wow. 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 That's a lot. But first, we say, Jeter, don't let the door hit you on the way out. He is stepping down from the Marlins CEO position. And myself, as a lifelong Red Sox fan, I've had some bitter feelings toward Jeter. But I actually was at Yankee Stadium for Derek Jeter's Statue Day because I'm such a good friend. (laughs) I did give away the statue. But he is, he might be going back to New York. I think that might be some of what's behind this. He, It seems like he just doesn't have his heart in Miami right now. Um, he actually only owned 4% of the Marlins in this group ownership deal, but he was in charge of running operations. So Bruce Sherman, who's sort of like the, the leader of the group of folks who bought, said that it was mutually agreed and actually that Some of the conflict was due to the size of the share. Maybe Jeter wanted more, which kind of makes sense because he was definitely working a lot. Um, And the issue of financial commitment to the roster. And I think that goes down to, you know, you got to put some money out to get some decent players and to keep them. Interestingly, I, I don't see that this has changed a lot. In Jeter's tenure, he said that right now, the current version of the franchise is different than the one that he signed up to lead. But in his four seasons, the Marlins record was 218 and 327. So not a winning team, despite me making the postseason in that fucked up 2020. I think the best thing clearly that happened to the Marlins under Jeter was getting Kim Eng. And she is now running baseball operations while they're waiting, you know, while they're, where they're doing the search, trying to find a new CEO. And the COO, Caroline O'Connor is managing the day-to-day business. So I think it's kind of interesting that there's now two women essentially splitting up the um, interim position until they find somebody to replace Jeter. Yeah, I actually,
0: I want to believe that the thing that Jeter was unhappy with was the lack of investment in the roster he's mm-hmm. a player he understands the player end of things and he knows you've got to invest in players if you want to win and I have a feeling that he just wasn't seeing the Marlins commit to paying what they need to pay to have the best players in the field and to feel the best team in that case I actually on the side of Derek Jeter in this if that is true and that's weird for me to say but I'm I'm okay with that and also um you know he was instrumental in bringing Ke- um, Kim Enga board. Okay. and that's that is that was momentous and so he did some
1: good he did some good thank you for I, like taking it for the team and doing this saying the good things about jeter for today's show because I, I agree with you it's just hard to get those words out of my mouth
0: i understand i understand and you know i'm looking at it differently with him as you know on the other side like a front office mm-hmm. rather than a player so i still don't think he was you know had a lot of range at short but okay anyway yeah.
1: thank <laughs> you i appreciate that back to the,
0: the long and winding road that is cba negotiations um, can I tell you that more than once today? Um, in the past week, I explained to friends because they asked me what the hell is going on with these, you know, wow. at work and elsewhere. I was like, Patty, can you please tell me what the heck this is about? And people kept saying, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I back to last week when we talked about the millionaires versus billionaires and how that's not a real thing. That was a big thing that I had to explain a couple times this week and and people kind of scratched their heads. So it makes me think that even though the things that I read are very clear on the side of the players and that meant that, you know, the ownership is really at fault for many of this, these things that's not as widespread as i thought it was like the general public maybe not as aware of it but they're not of course like you know looking under every rock like we are to get more information anyway today sunday when we record was the very first formal meeting since last tuesday um, for negotiations there was an informal meeting among a few of the players um and by players i mean negotiators not necessarily baseball players on thursday but today was the first meeting, which I think went about an hour and a half. I don't know if they went back in or if that was it, but this is too early for us to have any of the results of what happened in today's meeting. But the union was going to bring written responses to the owners' proposals, which I guess means they're going to like you know, write essays and show their work for like how they got to what they got. <laughs> One of the things that, that they have been talking about um, is expanding the postseason. The owners want as many teams as possible in the postseason because that's more broadcast advertising dollars, ticket sales, it's more cash in their pocket. They want to not front load the season. They're very happy to cut off games at the beginning of the season, but they want to throw them in at the end mm-hmm. because that's where all the eyeballs are. And uh, and the problem with that on the player side is lack of competition if 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 half the teams are going to get you know what's why is it important anymore it's really kind of loses its cash that way
1: right right and then there's the possibility of a team sort of having a lucky streak at the end and going into the playoffs with a shitty record and then winning yes and is that okay
0: for sure for sure um so it's been ten, 10 teams in the postseason when it's not a weird, you know, pandemic year or whatever. So both of the proposals have that number increasing. The players are offering 12 teams and the league is offering 14. Max Scherzer is leading the conversation about the ghost win. Which, okay, if you're going to make us have 14, here's what we're going to do. Then the number one seed on each league, um, when they go into their five-game series, they already get a win to their credit. They get a ghost win. They go in with a record of 1-0. and so they start ahead because that makes it more competitive and that makes it more interesting then. Because what the the league has in mind is, you know, the, the top seed gets by and then there's basically a game show for, if you're the second place team, you get to pick on, again, this televised thing. We pick these guys as our competitor and you get to pick that team for the, right. as your competitor. And it's just, again, eyeballs, advertising dollars and not real competitiveness. Um, Fun fact, the KBO actually already uses the ghost win. I was going to say, playoffs. I
1: think it's in the CBL, CPBL proposal for this season, because they have some weird new thing happening this season. So don't Just quote if me they on weren't
0: that, con- con- convoluted but... enough yeah, in their play. Exactly. Playoffs, for sure. And back to what I said before about the, the owners don't care about cutting off games in April. You know, they vary. They've already cut off the first two series of games. So that's about, about a week of play already in April for sure. Probably going to be more. Um, but the owners don't care because April is low attendance. Those of you with season tickets who go to um, you know, early season games before it's nice out, you're wearing your parka depending on where you live and it's chilly and not a lot of people are in the stands around you. So there's not a lot of loss with ticket sales as far as the owners are concerned. But also the contracts they have for broadcast, they don't I think whatever number of games they guarantee, there's a lot of wiggle room for, you know, if games get canceled for whatever reason. So they won't owe any money back on these contracts they have if they miss, you know, a week or two of games in April. So the owners just don't care, people. They don't care if you don't have the baseball that you want to see. They don't care. The, you know, the, on the flip side of that, the players better damn well get paid for the games that are missed because they're not missing them by choice. The only reason they aren't playing those games, and I repeat for the thousandth time, is because the league instituted a lockout. The league could choose to end the lockout. They could play these games. They could have uh, spring training and continue to negotiate. The lack of an agreement in the CBA does not preclude playing regular season games. It's just that MLB said that's what we want to do. So there. Yep. All right, let's talk about the lockout for a little bit. Uh, the Players Association, the, the Players Union, established a fund for the workers. Remember we talked about that last week a little bit, like, hey, what about the people who work in the stadium? Right. They're not going to get paid when games get canceled. Well, the union is thinking about that. So they have a million dollars. They've allocated a million dollars out of their war chest, basically, um, to, and I quote, help support workers affected by the lockout and cancellation of games by the Major League Baseball owners. So they're, they're very specific as what that is. Um, the AFL CIO is gonna work with the Players Association to administer these funds to make sure it goes to the people and the, um, the locations that need it the most. Um, so again, concession workers, facilities workers, ushers, um, you know, maintenance people, all of that who are gonna lose money because of not playing for at least those first two series in the regular season. Now, during COVID, the league itself created a fund to pay stadium workers. And it wasn't until a little bit after the union said, OK, we're taking care of this, that the league said, OK, yeah, we're going to kick in, too. They haven't announced their what they're going to do yet. It took them a little bit, but I think right. they realized they are totally losing the optics game here. So yeah. they will, in fact. Yeah. But they yeah. haven't
1: announced what they're doing. So that's it's interesting. They're like, yeah, we're, we're going to do that soon. And, and I that, promise. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the $1 million, I mean, I, we had retweeted this, and there were a couple comments sort of saying like, and that's not a lot for millionaires to be offering collectively a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't average out to, and I kind of felt, and I should have commented, like listen to Patty from last week. <laughs> that's not everybody who's a player. But that's where, you know, there's not, I don't know, it, there's not as much sympathy or not as much ad- admiration for the players for starting to do something first as I would have thought.
0: But right, and this this money is specifically coming out of union funds. These, these are not individual players, so I would not be mm-hmm. surprised. Like we saw at, in 2020, I'm sure there will be players who do things locally, like for their their teams, to help the people that work in those stadiums too. But again, if you're going to say, "Oh, well, the millionaires," how about the billionaires? We're missing the games because the owners right. said no games, so the owners should suck it the hell up, and write big honking checks to the people that they are bankrupting by doing this
1: right and that's exactly it like they're responsible for this happening so they should be the ones who are taking the brunt of yep. the absolutely yeah, the
0: and last week we mentioned how like spring training ga- uh spring training being canceled and spring or being delayed and the spring training games right. being canceled is messing with like the 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 local economics the neighborhoods around where these fields are now we're looking at the 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 neighborhoods around major league parks because you know what a madhouse opening day is? Yeah. The uh, businesses around, like they, uh, I can't remember who it was, interviewed uh, businesses in uh, around Wrigley. And a lot of folks said mm-hmm. baseball season pays like 75%. It's like 75% of my income. And so you start chipping away at that. The bars, the restaurants, the, you know, the whatever, the, the, the chain stores, the one-offs, the mom and pops, everything is going to be missing out the longer that the league chooses to delay the season. Um, our pal Bernie Sanders, baseball fan, spoke up and he said, Hey, hey, Rob Manfred, don't let the greed of baseball owners take away our national pastime and the lockout. And he cited, you know, the bazillion dollars made by the owners. And you know, if you remember, um, Sanders was also very vocal against MLB cutting the uh, minor league teams last year. So he's a very consistent voice on this, but it's nice to see others outside that sort of inner baseball circle talk. Again, most press I think is squarely blaming the owners, but I don't know if that's sticking fan wide so much. Here's where we're going to get weird. We're going to talk about rule five draft just a little bit because it's so incredibly complicated. If it wasn't complicated enough before. (laughs) So the rule five draft is usually happens in December and it's where teams can select minor league players who belong to other teams who have been on those teams for four or five years based on this whole algorithm situation and pay that team hundred thousand dollars and get that player to come on over. Now it didn't happen in December because league imposed lockout and, but the teams had to get their 40 man rosters in place. If you're on the 40 man roster, you're protected. Another team can't come and 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 pluck you out. If you are on the 40 man roster, you are protected from the rule five draft. Now, that usually happens, like, you know, they, they establish their 40-man rosters, and then there's the draft. Boom, we're done. But we didn't have the draft. So are we going to have the draft? The, these players who were not protected may be in very different situations now. If people were just coming off surgeries or injuries at the time of the draft, they may not have been likely, um, you know, they may not have been very attractive choices for other teams to come in. But they've had months to recover. And to work with trainers and to tune up things that were wrong. And so some of them might be much better than they were before. And now the teams are like, holy hell, we don't want to lose these people. We can't let anybody see them. So there are 28 out of 30 teams right now who are closing their their minor league spring training camps to scouts. Because they don't want scouts to see these guys that they scouted months ago to see what's different about them. And maybe like find that, oh, this guy's way more attractive than he was before for what we need um interestingly the draft the rule five draft helps minor league players in a couple ways for one it it pulls them onto the 26 man roster if a team picks you in the rule five draft you have to be on their 26 man roster all year right so you get your this is your big break also you get a real salary because all of a sudden you're making league major league minimum instead of not even um you know with Ten bucks an hour, whatever the heck we've decided that you know yeah. the minor league players get right. But here, here are some other things that happen. If the draft puts them on the twenty-six man roster, if the, if if the rule five draft happens now, they get on the twenty-six man roster, then all of a sudden they're major leaguers, so they're not playing until the, C, the lockout ends. Right. So like right now, they're in they're in they're in camp. They're going to start playing games and all of this. They, if this draft happens anytime before the CBA is done. They don't get to play anymore until
1: the wow. lockout
0: is lifted. So right, the same
1: situation the guys you were talking about last week who made the forty man, and even though they might not actually play, also that is correct. That is correct.
0: It also, if this happens, remember there's all these unsigned free agents out there in the world right now because no, no more signings could happen because oh of God. the league-imposed lockout. If a, if these guys, these you know, if guys get plucked in this in this rule five draft, then they may be filling out roster spots that would have ordinarily gone to free agents who are not yet available to be signed. So these established players may be losing spots. Oh, wow. Because teams that may not have been interested in rule five before, like I need somebody now and I don't know what I'm going to get. So I'm just going to, so it is so complicated and, but still the, um, you know, the owners want to cancel it. it. It, it, it could, there's, there's reasons both pro and con. To cancel it for sure, but it does have to be bargained. The league needs to agree with the owners to cancel the Rule Five Draft or not. But how about that for just a freaking can of
1: worms? So complicated. It's crazy. My head's spinning, and like part of me is thinking, wouldn't it be cool if this all gets settled somehow before our show drops? Like, wouldn't it be funny if like <laughs> if, if something miraculous happens today, and by the time this comes out, it's all solved? But. I, oh my gosh! I, I don't know. That's probably you know hoping for the best. One thing that's impressed me about this though is how unified the players are. I mean, it yeah. seems like you know it, it, at least on social media they're all saying the same thing. They've got their message, and they're yeah, all they together do. behind this message, and they're supporting their um, representatives very strongly. And you know that's good union organizing.
0: It sure is, and they're also having some fun with it that I think yeah. really um, also it is going to endear them to fans, like um, reaching out to Papa John's and others. <laughs>
1: like I, you know, I'm available. Here's my
0: resume. I can't. Who was it that posted it their, was, link, their was, LinkedIn?
1: Th- well, well, um, LinkedIn was was Joey Gallo. Yes. It, but- it, it, so yeah. damn funny, right? Which is hysterical. And then Papa John's, both um, Dansby Swanson and Jock Peterson actually worked for a day. And, and like they? yes, <laughs> I they took them up on the offer. So that's some good social media there. And who knows who else is going to be doing that? You know, there was definitely joking about going to other leagues. There was a Mexican team that tweeted at Fernando Tatis Jr. And he tweeted back. And same thing with um, Bryce Harper yes. in Japan. Uh-huh. And I, I appreciate Marcus Stroman for having the guts to say it like it is because he out and out tweeted, Manfred's been ruining our game while playing Puppet Boy to the owners. And also saying things about like, you know, we're just ready to play. like, But slamming Manfred there. Manfred, I, I just don't know. I, maybe I just have a very like skewed view on Twitter, but I don't see any defenders of his cause for sure. And that whole like photo op thing with him going golfing and stupid shit like that. He's not paying
0: attention, man. Right. right, Yep. For sure.
1: And he is also banned from a couple of minor league teams. And I think I didn't look into these teams, but I am pretty sure I know that they're neither one of them are in the official, you know, triple A level anymore, but maybe there were teams that were cut. So maybe they already have um, bad feelings about Manfred. So you can look into the Bismarck Larks who said that they were banning Rob Manfred for this season until the lockout ends. But then the Kalamazoo Growlers, and I really need a Kalamazoo Growler t-shirt at this point. They are a lifetime banning Manfred from their games because he is bad for baseball.
0: Oh, I like it. Oh, the Bismarck Larks are in the Northwoods League, which is like our Cal Ripken League. That's a That's a oh, summer collegiate. Bat League. Oh, I wonder okay. if our Thunderbolt should do
1: the same thing. Yeah, there's a great idea. Have you found the Kalamazoo Growlers? Not yet. But Growler, like that totally fits in with...
0: If only there was like a, you know, a thing you could buy the called the right. Growler that would tie in with that.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going to be buying their merch. I think that's good. All right. While we're researching that, we might as well go on to our boyfriends. These are the guys that we pick in the offseason. And, you know, usually there's a little bit of action right now with spring training, but not so much this year. But we pick one guy per team, and then we eventually make our fantasy league out of them. And these guys are cool beyond the field. There's something that we, like, connect to. So this week we had the challenge of the Astros and the Dodgers. We're doing one AL, one NL a week, and we've only got one more week after this. And I kept like double checking to make sure that it was really the Astros and the Dodgers for this week, because weren't they in the the world? Well, the Astros th- were. The Astros were. The Astros were in the World Series. That's right. The Remember Dodgers- the Hammers won? Yeah. And, and it was so long Dodgers ago now. Blew their streak after being, yeah, being in there for quite a while. So... My theme this week is unexpected postseason heroes. So both these guys have made some postseason impact. And also when I told Mr. Pottymouth who I had picked, he was like, didn't you pick them before? And I thought It it is and I went back, I really, really double checked. And so for the Astros, I'm picking Martin Machete Maldonado, catcher, 35 years old and the nickname Machete is for a reason. It's because he is infamous for cutting down runners. He has got an arm, and he is smart with calling pitches. But interestingly, he has struggled crazy at the plate. Sports Illustrated article call, called him arguably the worst hitting everyday player oh, in MLB history. I could see why you'd pick him. Yeah, exactly. But so he, he, he was only at 172 for 21. His lifetime at this point is 212 with over 2,900 plate appearances. And there are only three other players in MLB history that were batting that poorly with that much play. One of which, interestingly, was Cy Young. The other two were just kind of really bad, badly hitting catchers. And I just want to give a a shout out to one of our friends, Susie out there, who gave me the the Machete recommendation. And she also nailed it. She called him a team leader and a great all-around guy but that his offensive numbers suck. And, yeah. and the other thing that she said about him, which I tried to look into, and, and maybe you can help me out a little bit, Susie, is that he loves his mama. And I got a little bit of mom stuff because I'm all about the mom stuff, but the, the details were sort of hanging. So he's from Naguabo, Puerto Rico, which is a, very, it, the, a lot of talk about his humble background. And there was talk about his mom having actually to take out loans, to take him to baseball games, like to to, to deal with the travel. So she was super supportive. He was drafted in the 27th round in 04 to the Angels. So he's been around for a while, released in 07. The Brewers picked him up and he didn't come up until September of 2011, only like a barely a cup of coffee with that one plate appearance, and then back down and May 2012 was his first hit off of the Red Sox. And I love it when there's just sort of fate about stuff like that. So he he hit off of Nathan Avaldi. He was traded to the Angels after the 16 season, was with them for about a year and a half, and then traded to the Astros mid-year. But that wasn't the trade that stuck him there. In 19, he was signed by the Royals due to Salvador Perez being injured traded to the Cubs for 2 weeks and then back to the Astros. And so that's where we sort of pick him up. Although even though he is he's known for being horrible at the plate, I found some really key moments and it's not enough to call him a clutch hitter because he isn't clutch in every situation, but he's had a couple of really what well, more than a couple really interesting at bats. So to that back in 15 when he was with the Brewers off the D-backs, He caught a 17-inning game. So he he caught the entire extended game. And not only that, he won it with a walk-off home run. So he is literally the only catcher in history to have done that, to have caught 17 innings and win with a walk-off home run. So 2017, he got the gold glove, stopped Salvador Perez, who notably is my former boyfriend, stopped his consecutive streak at four, And that year, he was leading the AL in fielding percentage 0.998, which was only the second best catcher for the Angels. Benji Molina had (laughs) 0.999 in 02, 38.7% caught stealing. August 18, 2018 versus Oakland, he was a single short of a cycle. And he was the The first single. That's that's the easy one to get, isn't that you know? In comparison (laughs)
0: to the other ones, I'm just saying. I know,
1: and and of course, like I would have loved to see that triple. He was the first catcher since Jared Saltimelamakia with the with the Red Sox had done it on my dad's birthday in 2012. So he started getting loved, beloved by the Astros fan base, especially because of his ability to work with the pitchers. And he was really known as being the personal catcher for Cole when he was there in 2019. Over 10 starts with him, Cole had a 1.57 ERA. And he caught a combined no-hitter that Cole had started, but they pulled him, and I think it was the seventh because he had a couple runners off. Ozuna came in, uh, don't want to talk about that, and then um, Will Harris. So uh, in that game, actually, notably, Cole had 15 strikeouts. So Machete getting a lot of credit for how he's working with the pitchers. And then just to you know stick it to me a little bit that he homered in game two of 2019 <laughs> against the Nats. But you know that story ended well. In 2020, he stole a base on his 31st, 34th, 30, 34. That's impressive. 34th birthday. And he was the first Astros catcher to steal a base on his birthday, understandably. <laughs> okay. Back up to present day 2000 or almost 2021 in the playoffs game six ALCS. This is one that Susie reminded me of against the Red Sox. So the, you know, the, the Astros were p- pounding the Red Sox anyway, I think they were, they had that, this written for them, but there was a big comeback brewing and this is game six. And of course, you know, you want it to go to game seven, and he mowed down. If it's going to be anybody, Alex Verdugo at second, but it was a strikeout, throwout, and it was just so fast. And bang, you know, bang, bang, he gets bang! Credit played. for doing that. He also got credit for extending the World Series a game because he had a really big at bat in Game Five against Atlanta. And of course, you know, again, an at bat from Maldonado, but. A, there's a great Sports Illustrated article that I will link that called it that he pulled out the Little League and sort of crowded the plate and got <laughs> got walked. He almost got hit, but got walked and that kind of rallied things around. But, you know, it did not end well for the Astros. He played some Puerto Rican ball, which I, I adore. He was on the, the World Baseball Classic Puerto Rican team in 2013 played for the team Mayaguez from 08 to 14, a little bit in the 16, 17 year. But, you know, that's sometimes I think what happened is that his MLB teams weren't releasing him for play in the the winter, even though he wanted to. He did get a championship, though, with Mayaguez in the 11, 12 year. He had played baseball since age four. And so here's the stuff that I was like pulling at for mom. I found one article that mom played softball, but I found nothing else about like where, how much. His dad was a catcher in Double A in Puerto Rico, but also I didn't get a lot of information on that. And when Martin got to be 16, he realized that baseball was more than a hobby because he was also doing lots of stuff like basketball, volleyball, ping pong. But his mom, he calls the captain of the ship. She's the one who got him to practice. She was his big, biggest cheer. They talked on the phone every day. And then when Hurricane Maria hit and he couldn't reach her, it was incredibly stressful for them. And then I found one, only one article that mentioned his mom recuperating from a brain aneurysm last year. Ooh. So I would love to find more information about that. If anybody knows more about that, please let me know. But that she made it to the playoff games with the doctor releasing her. He's a good good doing, do gooding. Do, he does good things for we go. Puerto Rico in his hometown. He's thrown carnivals for kids on Three Kings Day. He's done disaster relief with his buddies like Carlos Correa. And during the pandemic, he, uh, he and other players like Correa partnered with the Astros Foundation to get stuff to Puerto Rico, and they covered the freight and the transport. His wife is a hot shit. So I definitely want to drink a beer with both his wife and his mom, His wife's uh, Twitter is great. And she has this one post about when she was sitting in the stands and, you know, fans are going to be complaining about his at-bats. And she was like sitting there fuming while they're saying shit about them. And she said, no man that stands on that plate is enjoying a moment of struggle. struggle. But it happened that in that at-bat that his bat did connect. And then she (laughs) started hysterically screaming.
0: Oh, that's excellent. This is like when we say,
1: you know, don't boo people because mm-hmm.
0: they already know it's not going how they want it to go. This exactly. will not help.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Just the last couple of things that I adore about him. He's another one who's been, you know, tweeting stuff about the negotiating. And there was one day when Bob Nightingale tweeted about them going to the table like five times in the yeah. past couple of days. And he retweeted it saying, no more mound visits. <laughs> I got to get some swag. He's got Team Machete and it's so cool because it's got that orange and yellow from the old time Astro shirts that I loved. So I I might have to go with Team Machete and he's got some style. His hair has changed colors over the years, including blue and blonde. I don't know what else, but I like his style. So I'm excited about Machete and I I don't know, maybe he's going to be able to break through this year. We'll see what happens at the plate.
0: I hope so, but that's like a lot of fun. So yeah, the past couple of years, we've had a hard time with Astros because we didn't want to pick anybody who played on the 2017 right. team. So I think we, we've we nailed it by getting the young guys or the veterans who have been around and were on other teams then. But it's, it's those guys in the sweet yeah. spot in the middle that, that are the tough ones. So I'm going with Kyle Tucker, who's also somebody that I, I was a little bit surprised oh. we, didn't, we didn't do last year because he would have been somebody we would have picked too early for darn sure, but we did not. Kyle Tucker is 25, plays right field, and is originally from Tampa. He's got a baseball family. His older brother, Preston, who's older by seven years, was also drafted by the Astros. He was drafted in the seventh round of the 2012 draft, right? So um, there's there's a really sweet article about, uh, about Kyle and his family jumping on a plane at the last minute to go see Preston's, like, his debut. And how exciting that was for all of them. Aww. Like, oh my God. And then, you know, a few years later, I was you, bud. Um, He was such a freaking star in high school as a sophomore. As a sophomore, they nicknamed him Ted for his swing, for Ted Williams oh. swing. Like, that's, that's a little awesome. bit to, to live up to, but he did all right because, um, the, the, and then that same piece about him going to his brother's call up, he had just broken his brother's record at the high school for home runs in a season. His brother hit 29 home runs. And then Kyle hit 31, but didn't tell him. He said, I I don't (laughs) want to distract him. I'll tell him about the record once he gets used to playing for Houston. That's
1: cute.
0: I think it's kind of, you know, okay, we're going to drink. I'm going to say adorable because, pardon me while we drink. Okay, adorable is not a sports word. And our rule is, you know, if we use it in a sports contest, it involves having this, you know, an adult beverage. But this is pretty adorable. I need a backup beer. I'm going to. So do I. Can Mr. Pitymuth come all the way to my house and I, get I, to my fridge for me? I don't I'll know. Check. Yeah. But I think it is, I think it is, in fact, adorable that he thought that his now in the major league's brother would be distracted by him saying, oh, yeah, I broke <laughs> your high school record, right? That so qualifies. He then went. Kyle then went on to win the 2015 Florida Gator Gatorade Player of the Year for high school and the Baseball America High School Player of the Year. So he did okay. Um, and there were some pieces from, you know, it's a, it was the same baseball coach talking about how a lot of scouts sort of missed Preston. Like they weren't, they didn't have their attention on him, but they learned from their mistakes. So they're like, they're in the 2015 season, there were, oh, 60 to 80 scouts at, at our high school games, you know, over the course oh, of the season. Shit. That's crazy. Right? That is crazy. So that year, when he was a high school player of the year in multiple, multiple awards, he was taken in the very first round. By the Astros in 2015, so he did not end up going to the University of Florida, where he had a baseball scholarship. Um, instead, he signed for four million dollars as a just barely out of high school guy um, in 2015. So there you have it. Um, but you know, I I gotta feel like you know he saw his brother start. I mean, it's like he lived it a little bit. Um, he knows what he's getting into. It's working out okay for him. Let me just say it's working out okay for him. So he debuted in July of 2018. So he was a little bit fast-tracked, which was which was kind of cool, but didn't really make any big splashes, kind of went up and down, nothing too exciting happened. In the um, he spent his downtime in 2020 before the season started playing um <laughs> a Twitch Rivals Super Games for charity. And his partner was Brett Phillips of the Rays, who I absolutely oh, adore. So, you know, as guy. little as I care about video games, I'm like, oh, you know what? That I bet was hilarious to watch. So I don't think they made it very far in this charity tournament, but I like that they did it. Um, I like that, you know, use your powers for good while you can't play baseball. He even said, hey, there's no sports happening, so we're going to do this. Um, this I'm putting in for you. In 2020, he led the American League in triples, Yay. because I know you do love <laughs> a triple. But last season is when he lit it up. And specifically, you know how people who run statistics are very careful about picking their start dates. What are your ranges, right? So if you pick May 1st, you didn't do so great neighbor. If you pick May 1st, then Kyle Tucker led the league in on-base percentage, slugging and OPS if you start at May 1st. Like, holy crap.
1: Yeah, you got to be something if you're that
0: at any date, really. <laughs> So he was the third Astro to get thirty to hit thirty home runs in a season before he turned twenty-five. The other two were Alex Bregman and Jordan Alvarez. He was a finalist this past year for a Golden Glove and Silver Slugger. Didn't get the award, but got awfully close. He was also this past postseason the first Astro with multiple stolen bases in one postseason inning. Oh, wow. And I feel pretty good about him going forward because the athletic, because there's no Major League Baseball to cover that's actually about the sport right now, has been doing things like, hey, let's think about who we believe are going to be in contention for awards in the 2022 season if we ever have it. And they've got him at the top of their list for American League MVP.
1: Not too shy.
0: So, here's your um here's your your heartstrings story for you. So, Astros as you know, played in the 2021 World Series. 3 days before the World Series started, Kyle's grandfather Dwayne passed away. He had been in hospice for several months. Oh, wow. And Kyle didn't, he told a couple of his teammates, but he didn't want it to be a thing. He didn't want it to be a distraction. This was, you know, a big deal. And his dad was such a supporter of him. He said, no matter what league I was in or where I was playing my dad, my dad figured out what TV package do you have to buy to like watch your, you know, your grandchild from florida playing every single game so he watched every single game there was any way to to see so he was a big fan they were very close so the kyle tucker foundation was born actually just last month i believe to fund hospice care for people who can't otherwise pay for it. And as someone who has had hospice care in, in her own home, I know just how important that is and what a relief it is to the family and how helpful it is and how much it eases the person who is the one who is under hospice care. And he said, you yeah. shouldn't have to worry about money at that stage of life. You shouldn't have to worry about paying for things that make that much of a difference at that stage of life. So Kyle Tucker has won his way into my heart as my boyfriend for the Astros. Thank you, oh, Kyle, that for all is- what you do.
1: So well-deserved, so well-deserved. Yeah. It's nice to get a couple of good Astros. It gives gives us hope for the future, right? Doesn't it, though? Yeah. <laughs> On to the Dodgers. I'm picking Christopher Armand Taylor Jr., who Chris Taylor. I don't understand why his nickname is CT3 if he's a junior. That would seem like it would be two, but I, I don't know. I didn't figure that one out. He's a utility player, and oh, is he utility. Flashback to my last week's pick with Leory Garcia for the White Sox, another guy who has played everything except for first base and catcher. So go figure. He played six different positions last year in 2021, often a few in the same game. So we're getting a little bit of versatility from him. He was a free agent in November. He rejected the qualifying offer from the Dodgers, but then he signed on December 1st for four years and $60 million. That was the day of the lockout. So this contract under the wire. Yes, we <laughs> used in. and interestingly, though, you know the the article that I read said MLB shut down, and I just kind of feel like no, the the owners, you know, they locked them out. I mean, I think the concept of lockout needs to be. More clearly put in these articles, but he did want to stay to be a, a, a Dodger. So that's, you know, comes down to rejecting a qualifying offer isn't necessarily sign- signaling that you don't want to be with the team. Just needed to get paid a little bit better. That's so right. he said he was, it was hard to see myself in anything but Dodger Blue. And it meant a lot to me that they were willing to give the offer that they did. And he was, of course, happy that they got to get to it before the lockout. He's originally from Virginia Beach, so almost our neck of the woods and went to University of Virginia from 2010 to 12 and uh, signed by by the Mariners in the fifth round of 2012. And we have a couple of, you know, notable favorites local from the University of Virginia. And that was Zim uh, from the Nationals in, in 05 and Doolittle in 07. So there's a lot of, you know, big names from University of Virginia. He was traded to the Dodgers mid 2016 from the Mariners for pitcher Zach Lee. And if you don't recognize that name, that's because he hasn't pitched in MLB (laughs) since then. So the Dodgers
0: won that one is what you're saying?
1: Absolutely. Actually, the Mariners GM uh, said that it's the worst trade I've ever made <laughs> his uh, first home run came against the D backs in 2016 and it was a grand slam and on that date he also so here maybe here's another theme of me for theme for me for the day was a single short of the cycle so the day of his <laughs> really? first home run was a grand slam and he also got a double and a triple that day I didn't realize that he was co-MVP of the NLCS in 2017 with Justin Turner, who was my former, actually, I've got to say ex-boyfriend by now. Like, dad, yeah, he's Justin ex. Turner. Yeah, he, if you fuck up that badly, you do not get to be a baseball boyfriend. And I mean him going on the field after having been uh, said that he was positive for COVID after the World Series. Anyway, um, to, in uh, 2017, though, back to the that World Series pre-COVID days, Chris Taylor started that World Series, the first game, the first pitch with a home run off of Dallas Keuchel. He led the league in strikeouts in 2018, so not necessarily the stat that you want to be seeing, but his average still stayed pretty stable at 254, and he improved for a couple years, but then this past year kind of went back to those old ways, 254 again with 167 strikeouts. So. There's definitely some work to be done. Although, you know, I think the pluses outweigh the the minuses, but you know, you can, you can always get better. Uh, his 2020 world series game. And so, you know, the Dodgers have been in the f- quite a few world series these past few years. He was the one who bobbled the ball when Brett Phillips got to do the airplane celebration. So it was actually the first bobble. It was a hit to the outfield. He bobbled it. And then there was another bo- bobble with, with the catcher at home, but, that led to a very happy, though brief moment for Tampa. There, do we uh, just
0: name check Brett Phillips twice
1: in yeah. a boyfriend um, segment not involving the Rays? Yeah, yeah, wow. and, and he hasn't been a boyfriend, has he? Did no, we came really close to picking him. He's so right, close. but I, I thought He's I'd already talked
0: about him enough, so I, yeah. I should pick on somebody else. But um,
1: yeah, oh well, maybe next uh, week. And so, yeah, the Rays are coming next week. We'll see what happens. All right, this past year, uh, 2021 wild card game against the Cardinals. He came in not doing well, batting eight, uh, hitting eight for his last 72 at bats. And he got a two out, two run walk off home run. Hmm. NCLS game five of three home runs. So he his overall NCLS um, average was 476 with nine RBI and, and three home runs. Made the all-star for the first time in 21, but of course, what is their baseball boyfriend to be about him? He also has a foundation, CT3 Foundation for Kids with Cancer. And the foundation funds both pediatric care networks like clinics and hospitals, and also a foundation called the Rock Solid Foundation based in Virginia, that does ready bags for families when their kids are in treatment and backyard play sets for kids who are recuperating. Oh. The reason why he does this is because a, a close friend of his, when he was in high school, a teammate of his died of sarcoma. And also his girlfriend, strangely coincidentally, lost a close friend from for cancer. So the two of them are very active and behind this. They had a golf tournament. They've had teammates sign gear and auction items. And they are engaged. They got engaged in Hawaii. Mary Keller is the lovely girlfriend. And so I wish them all the best on their endeavors together.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Um, I found a hell of a great guy, like super great guy in Matt Beatty who's 28, plays left field for the Dodgers. He was born outside of Atlanta, but moved to Dresden, Tennessee in seventh grade. This becomes incredibly important to everything else I'm going to tell you. So oh. he was drafted by the Royals in 2011, but he decided to go play college ball at Belmont in Nashville. So staying not too not too far from home and instead of going in the 2011 draft, which paid off, of course, because he was drafted then in the 12th round in 2015 by the Dodgers. And he debuted... In April of 2019. Since then, he has played left field, first base, third base, and pinched hit. Mostly, did, mostly was a pinch hitter in 2021. That's all I'm going to tell you about baseball. So I want to tell you the other stuff because the other stuff is so amazing. So, Dresden is a town of about 3,000 people. We think our town is small, <laughs> our town is 17,000 people. So picture, picture, if you will, this 3,000 uh, population town of Dresden, Tennessee, where he was since seventh grade. Uh, his, his now wife, Jessica, who he married in 2016, they met basically when he moved in because he was like the new kid. So everybody knew who he was <laughs> because he was the only new kid. Um, and they were friends all this time, started dating in high school. And apparently... Um, like after school, like he would go and practice baseball at the local park, and she would come along sometimes and throw and throw a batting practice for him. So she also is an athlete. Um, but they started during his rookie season, which is pretty early to start charitable giving because you don't have the money coming, like the real money coming in yet. Right. Right. Um, they started the Matt Beatty Fund during his rookie season to support local schools in their, in th- their hometown area in an, like the city of Dresden and the the surrounding County to support the schools and also provide sports equipment to local teams. So they don't live there anymore. They live um, in Arizona now, I think, but whenever they talk about home, they talk about Dresden. Well, if you may recall in the beginning of December, we had tornadoes Oh, right. and, 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 you know, Tennessee, much of Tennessee was in the path and Dresden who they said in the past always escaped and they always had tornado warnings, but the, the tornadoes always seemed to go by them. Not this time. This time it was hit and it, and, and it was hit very, very hard. So much of downtown, a lot of homes, including Jessica's Childhood home, were destroyed. So after this happened, they wanted to refocus from supporting schools in general and supporting equipment to like really help the recovery effort, you know, in this tiny little town. Also, it's a rural town and you, you know, you're you're not the, the the bright shiny place that everybody sees that's gonna throw money at you. Like you you might get left out of a lot of things because you're sort of hidden, right? You're 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 out there. So they started with just their own personal donations, like providing food to people and like personal help and all of that, and then decided they could use this foundation to try to get larger resources in place. Yeah. And they got the players, the players' trust, which is one of the union funds to match their donation to you know immediately double what that was and then they started doing other fundraisers around it like a golf tournament which raised twenty thousand dollars so that is this ongoing this rebuilding of this town is ongoing and just to watch both of them both Matt and Jessica talk about their hometown how important it was and how special it was and how meaningful it is to take care of each other like they are such a community and even though they don't live there anymore, they still feel like this is their community. And I, I really, really appreciate that we take care of our own. We help each other. It doesn't matter, you know, demographics don't matter. It's your community. You take care of them. Um, he had, in the past before all this happened, he would go back frequently to do baseball clinics for the local kids. And there's a great clip of him saying, "This was my baseball field when I was your age." And here's what I did. You know, I, I worked hard, I, you know, and I, I wanted this dream and I worked and I worked on this very field where you are right now. And, you know, now I'm a major league player. And so it was, it was really cool because it's that personal connection. And it's so personal because it's that on that very spot, right? It's on that very spot. They also, you know, near and dear to my heart, um, have their, their second shelter dogs. They They went out and got a buddy for their first shelter dog on their wedding anniversary, which I thought was pretty great. And here we get to a weird, weird connection. So Jessica collects bobbleheads. So um, they knew they were going to get married. They had been together for God, as long as he, like, you and Mr. Pottyoff <laughs> were together at this point, right? Like it was is a foregone conclusion. Um, so he had a, a custom bobblehead made of him proposing. So the bobblehead is up and oh, down on one style. knee and, you know, in front of Jessica proposing. And she did not know any of this was going to happen. And he said, so... In the bobblehead, she's wearing a black dress. So he basically waited until she wore a like something black to work. So she would look <laughs> like the bobblehead. And he quick put on like, you know, something similar that he was and picked a dress like, we're gonna go to the beach just to go for go for a walk, and then proposed with the bobblehead. So they looked like the people in the bobblehead, which I thought was really pretty great. And um on a related note, I did not have bobbleheads at my wedding, but our um our uh, our little gift to our guests was um, custom made floaty pens. You know, the, the pens that, that you tip. So um, I'm I'm all about the little the little little kitschy uh, wedding memorabilia. And also they got married at a place called The Barnes in oh, Tennessee. Cool. I got married at a place called The Barnes, but mine was in Virginia. So I think that we are fated for each other. And this is like a whole family go out for a beer because I think they are just sweet, kind, lovely people. And I want to meet both of them and the dogs. That hey, next like week, fun. next week, we're going to um, profile um, Brett Phillips team, the Tampa Bay and also the san francisco giants so we may have to call in our west coast correspondent for some picks on the giants and uh, that's our last week of individual teams and then we'll come back with uh with our pitching staffs and i don't know where i'm gonna go with that
1: oh i have no clue i have not thought about pitching at all all right all right i have a little bit of homework for next week but a couple of updates hey happy women's history month So, it's a good time to be talking about women in baseball and women in sports and women everywhere, really. So, we're going to just take a few minutes for that. First of all, Baseball for All, who have been following for a while and they're increasing girls' tournaments, have been, they've had this game plan all along of building it up. You know from the lower the lower ages all the way up and and now it's the women's college club that they've been encouraging for a while and they're having a tournament it's the first ever women's u.s college club baseball championship tournament it's happening this month march 19th to the 22nd at the mlb urban youth academy in compton california Four teams are participating, University of Washington, Montclair State University, Cal State Fullerton, and Occidental College. And the cool thing about being at an MLB facility is that they have those resources. It's being hosted by the Dodgers Academy. And so the coaches who usually work with them are gonna be working with these young women. There's going to be a meet and greet with uh, folks that we've been admiring for quite some time: Maybelle Blair, and Shirley Berkovich of the All American Girls Professional Baseball League. So, power to these young women for
0: this is one of the things that we talked about before about elevating women's sports by having, you know, the the, the major professional league teams in the United States focus on them, like. When um, when the New Jersey Devils, you know, allowed the Metro hosted the Metropolitan Riveters, the women's hockey team, right. at their at their rink, not the little practice rink they use, but their real one. That that makes it legitimate. Having the the Dodgers say that you use our facilities, that's giving a stamp of approval from mm-hmm. the major leagues to you know to kind of to elevate and to get more eyes on and draw more attention to women's sports. And I'm all about that. You want to go to Mexico or you want to go to New York? I would say New York. And then all right. We'll so the back. Mets, the Mets are making a little bit of history and somebody pointed out on Twitter that all of a sudden um, these teams are all announcing women um, hires, which yeah. is very clear that they could have been doing it all along. <laughs> yes. You know, but anyway, still, you know, this is another one of those congratulations and why now, um, why only now? So Elizabeth Ben, congratulations. The Mets have hired her to be the director of major league operations for the Mets. So that makes her the highest ranking, um, woman executive the Mets have ever had. She was, she just came from a gig as the senior coordinator of baseball operations for the league for MLB when i went back and looked at some older things about her my favorite thing is that she was the first woman to play in the new york metro baseball league as a pitcher mm, wow. and and so her quote was the number of guys who would break their bat <laughs> after facing me it was a lot that's so good so i'm pretty excited cuz i you know often you don't get women who played actual baseball right because the opportunities have been so slim to go from playing actual baseball to um, to a front office gig or any 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 gig with a major league team or with the league itself. So that's pretty cool. So congratulations, Elizabeth.
1: Yeah, I find it kind of interesting that MLB is definitely hyping up this Women's History Month with featuring all these women who are there now. But that's not history. That's like future. It's sort of like the, the opposite. Like we're going to be looking this month into what will happen with women based on what what the foundation that has been built by by some of the founders. So we're not the only ones in the u s. Just notably, there's women's baseball happening in a lot of other places. so we really have to get our shit together. In Mexico, the president of the Mexican Baseball Federation has said that he's considering establishing a women's league. Their international A league, Multiple teams, teams and everything. Multi, exactly. So their international team was is ranked 12th, so not too high, but notably having women from many different parts of the country. So he's sort of noticing this and thinking, let's jump on it, especially, you know, the neighbors across the border to the north don't have this going on yet. It's about time. It's yeah. about time. Although we do have some successful women, plenty of successful women in this country, but I, I just want to give a little bit of a cheer to the U.S. women's soccer team for finally fucking getting equal pay this past Tuesday after almost three years of a lawsuit that went back and forth and up and down. And, you know, just they have been better than the men. They, they're, The team has been more successful and they should at least have equal pay at this time. So that is, I think, you know, an impressive trendsetter, hopefully for the future.
0: So on a related note, WNBA players do not make anywhere near what NBA players oh make. My and God. that God, is actually works. one of the underlying situations that um, in our other cross-training piece, which is about um, WNBA player Brittany Greiner being detained in Russia right now. So, Brittany Greiner, if you don't follow WNBA, she's hot shit. She's one of the most famous WNBA players. She's a seven-time All Star, two-time Olympic gold, me- um, gold medalist. She plays wow. for the Phoenix Mercury, and her salary with with Mercury is like two hundred and some thousand dollars a year. Compare that to like you know, it, and if she's a premier player, compare that to any any. NBA player you can think of. So, like many other WNBA players, she goes overseas in the winter to play. And so for seven seasons, she has played in Russia for four times her four times her WNBA salary. Oh
1: my God. I didn't know four it was times. that much. Right. So
0: so we just learned yesterday, again, we're recording on Sunday. This happened yesterday that Brittany Greiner was detained last month while entering Russia. Um, because when they searched her, her luggage, they they say they have they found vape cartridges, cartridge sorry, vape cartridges with cannabis oil, with hash oil in them. They didn't really announce this until yesterday. It apparently happened a month ago or so. The uh, the punishment, the the sentence for this could be ten years in prison, is the maximum sentence oh, for having having, you know, hash oil in your vape cartridge. Now, many people are suspicious about this. If she's been playing in Russia for 7 years, do you really think she would bring that through an airport?
1: I saw something saying that it was CBD. Like is there any like conclusive evidence as to what kind of oil it was because it's- it could have been
0: yeah it's not. it's all it's all fuzzy it's all fuzzy but the people who just write it off and say well she was an idiot for doing that I'm like ah, are we sure she, right you know more to it but also the there are many levels of terror about this she mm-hmm. is a black queer woman in russia which is not friendly to those demographics at all there's a freaking war happening oh my god is she oh. is did they just announce it now you know like eight or nine days into their invasion of the Ukraine to say, Hey, look what we have. You like her, Uh, you know, tread carefully. Um, So it's fraught. It is absolutely fraught. She has a lot of resources behind her. You know, the WNBA, the NBA, also team USA, you know, her, so anybody that's associated with her on any professional level, for sure, is is working back channels to try to get her the hell out of there. All other WNBA players who have been in Russia and Ukraine are out. She is the only one behind, and she's behind. She's left behind because she has been detained. So it's pretty damn scary. And um, the not least of all is this happened a month ago, and we're just finding out about it right now.
1: Wow. I've. Ugh, I hope this ends somehow. Ends just gets her back here. Yes, please.
0: Yes, please. So, wow, we should have ended on the soccer thing. We should have ended on. Yeah, shit, damn it! I fucked that, I fucked that up. No, right. no. I mean, this is really important, and and, and you know, honest to God, if this is what you're left thinking about, that's it's actually pretty important. So I don't, I don't really feel bad about that,
1: all at right. all, at all. But we can give people some other things to get busy with. What do you think? Do you think they should be like listening to some past episodes and telling yeah, their friends about us? I think so. I think you should go back and listen to lots of past episodes and check us out on Twitter. We are at NCIB podcast and Facebook and Instagram. We're at No Crying and Beeball. ball and check us out on Patreon. And I, you know, we got a new Patreon friend and I think her name is Elle. And I could not uh, get it quickly enough on my phone during <laughs> while I was doing two things at the same time during our show. But you too can go to Patreon. Uh, we're at No Crying and b That's it. No Crying and b on Patreon and help us get enough money to keep this stuff going.
0: We'd sure like to do that. And hey, if your friends ask you hard questions about negotiations and you don't remember what we told you, you can always send them to our podcast. Because you know, for weeks now, we've been trying to lay this out, and so we'd like to help everybody understand what the heck these CBA nego- negotiations are about. All right, we're gonna look at um, some some Rays guys and some Giants guys, and hopefully, we're gonna have some fun because it's like. 75 degrees out today and so maybe we'll have a nice little evening out it could happen hope you're having a good week you've already gotten your booster i'm sure of it you like bernie sanders is out there fighting the man and until next week say good night potty mouth good night potty mouth. Oh, you, you look um, very mischievous. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. A little bit of a funny side eye, side eye in a very good way.